0: You're listening to Rosie on the House.
1: Come on
0: around back, Arizona. It is the 8 o'clock hour, our outdoor living hour for Saturday of the month. So we are joined with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. Welcome, Farmer Greg. Thank you. Thank you. Should I crow today? Oh. Oh. You know, one of my favorite topics. We should have scheduled a chicken dance-off contest. Oh yeah, there you go. Maybe maybe Gary can get the music for us and coming after bottom of the hour. Who's the best chicken dancer? You'll have to like somehow record this on video and save it, Gary. There you go. Have our voters vote on it during the week. Who's the better chicken dancer? Yeah, it wouldn't be me. Well. Tell me about uh, about your chickens, because I I I've had chickens fifteen years. I can't mm-hmm. ever imagine not having chickens. I
1: cannot ever imagine not having chickens as well. I've had chickens since nineteen ninety nine. Got our first batch of chickens, and so this is our twentieth year of keeping chickens at the urban farm. And while they're pretty straight up on you know what we need to do for them, there are some big caveats that we're going to discuss over the course of the next hour.
0: At the National Heirloom Show, I went to a speaker on chickens. Wow! Uh, and it was a specialist, and he was all about really more for meat. Ours today is more eggs and other right. functions, but he was talking specifically for meat because how many people eat chicken? I mean, chickens a huge part of chicken's America's a huge diet. <laughs> part of the American diet, absolutely. And his whole thing was changing how the meat growers raise them because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, go, they go to harvest too soon. The meat never fully matures. We, we don't even mm. know what chicken tastes like because of how they process them anymore was his whole uh, wow. consensus. But there was another group from Arizona that asked about growing chickens in Arizona. And he said, no point to, growing, to having chickens in Arizona. It's too hot. You're wasting your time. Wow, really? Needs an education. <laughs> yeah, You're supposed say. to be a national expert, and you wrote off the complete
1: state of Arizona <laughs> because it's too hot. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know that that let's, is. Let's that help is, correct him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is that is one of the caveats is that it does get hot in the summertime. And we're going to talk when it comes to uh, watering your chickens. We'll talk, you know, about the caveats around that. Well, where are we going to start? That's a great question. First of all, let's start with the benefits of keeping chickens. So you actually mentioned meat birds versus egg layers. So primarily I speak to egg layers, the hens that you get in your backyard that will leave eggs behind for you, versus meat birds, which you generally raise for six to eight weeks and then butcher them for the meat. Now, I've actually done that at the urban farm uh, about 10 12 years ago I decided I wasn't a vegetarian and I still eat poultry I better figure out what it takes to raise them I'd never done that, anything like that before so over the course of about a four-year period I raised 25 different hens that turned into meat birds so I went from a baby little chick to plate and it takes about eight weeks They grow really fast.
0: And it takes an egg layer about six months before they even start laying eggs. And what a lot of people ask me is, well, don't you eat your chickens after they're done laying? I'm like, Ah. I'd have to be pretty gosh darn hungry. And I'd have to let that meat simmer in a gumbo
1: for like two weeks before it was probably tender enough to eat. (laughs) There you go. So I actually had an experience with that. One day when I was butchering meat birds, uh, you know, meat birds are bred to have heavy breasts real quick okay so you know when you butcher a meat bird you get a nice eight ten twelve ounce breast on them well the day that i was butchering hens at the urban farm i had a laying hen that was lame so she couldn't walk anymore so I put her out of her misery and I butchered her. And you know what? The I
0: hard f- part about pets, anyone that's had a dog pass away that they've had to put down, mm-hmm. birds, cats, I mean, anyone that has a pet has had. Yeah. If you haven't experienced it yet,
1: you will. It's just part of. Part of the process. Yep. We had a, we had a hen die this past weekend in Heidi's arms. Mm. You know, So that it's part of the process. But back to this laying hen, the amazing thing that I found was that the breasts that I got out of her were about the size of a quarter. They were teeny just because they weren't bred for, you know, a lot of meat. They're bred to lay eggs. All that being said, we're going to talk about laying hens today. rather The fun than part the, of chicken ownership. <laughs> right. And, you know, we're mostly at the urban farm. The laying hens are our pets. You know, so they, they come to live with us when they're two days old and they live with us until they pass on. And we just recently had a hen die that was eight years old. That's impressive. That's impressive. Yep, and she, well, that that goes to how how well Heidi takes care of the, you know, the, our chickens, her pets. So. So I, something's telling me
0: we should have brought Heidi in this morning too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Is she critiquing us right now? We're not have to worry about watching our phones for text. No, text that's message, not it. it. Make sure you say this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, that's not her. But uh, anyways. I'm blushing now. <laughs> Heidi takes so, good care of the chicks. <laughs> she does. Um, really, the big reason to keep chickens in my yard uh, is not just about eggs. So in permaculture, permaculture, I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. It's something I've studied for almost 20 years. And how do we work in the flow of nature is really what we're looking at. So when we have a permaculture chicken, they're workers in our backyards. You know, if we had an industrial chicken, what's an industrial chicken good for?
0: Uh, egg production yep.
1: and manure production. Um, maybe at some of the places, manure production and meat. So basically to provide us with food. And
0: fertilizer.
1: <laughs> and fertilizer and some at some places, exactly. So in my yard, I have what I call permaculture chickens. And so they eat bugs. They eat weeds. They'll till for me. Chickens make amazing tillers. They're diggers like you wouldn't believe because they want to get in and, you know, dust bath. They provide manure. Uh, This year, interestingly enough, I didn't have to buy any compost. Um, I think we have a compost week coming up here in the next month or two where I talk about regenerative composting. So listen in for that. That's coming up this summer. Uh, but I take in about 10 or 15 five-gallon buckets a week of compost from a local restaurant. And with the help of the dried leaves and some straw and the manure, I'm making all the compost that I need for my third-of-an-acre urban farm, thanks in big part to the chickens. They're providing the fertilizer. I know that uh, Hickman's sells chicken fertilizer, The farm's choice. (laughs) That's right, fertilizer, and it's primarily chicken poop. And chicken poop is a really, really good fertilizer. Plus, the hens give us eggs every day. So there's more than just one reason why I keep hens in my backyard. Plus, they do a great job of mowing the backyard.
0: They seem to have a great job. I don't know if it's, if you leave them turned out. Mm Mm-hmm. They won't – with enough room, they do keep the vegetation about the same level. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, now I've confined them before just to see, and they'll eat it all down to rare dirt yep. if, if you keep – if you don't give them enough space. But if you let them open enough space, it's like they know not to destroy all the vegetation. Mm-hmm. They'll just eat it down a little bit, then they'll move over here and eat it down and move over here and just continue to circle and manage their own – Uh, harvest
1: yeah exactly well you know you mentioned before taking a book called chicken tractor Mm -hmm. great book yeah great book and really the concept behind chicken tractors are that you have a portable chicken coop that you move around your yard or your farm your garden and the chickens do their work for a little while and then you move them to another part of your yard
0: and that was why i was testing it what happens if you didn't move it right do they do the
1: I wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, they they get you down to dirt pretty quick. Um, a buddy of mine, Don. And
0: you know what I actually I took from that mm-hmm. is the ones that stop laying, I take out to the orchard and I put chain link panels yep. around the tree wells that have been overcome by grass or other weeds, and I just leave them there till underneath the tree well is back to dirt.
1: That's right. <laughs> They'll do a great job of that. So I was going to mention my buddy Don Titmus out at Bee Oasis out in Mesa. He has a very unique chicken tractor system set up. He's got four large seasonal garden beds. And what he does is in one quarter of the year, January through March, the chicken tractor sits on one of the beds. And so they eat and manure and dig and all that kind of stuff on this bed. And then at the end of the quarter, he moves the chicken tractor to bed number two, and he plants bed number one. So at any Ah, given, this is
0: going every quarter. It just rotates down. Exactly,
1: it's it works really well. So he's always got, you know, pretty much two and a half beds in production, and they're fertilizing and eating bugs and weeds, and you know they're just basically taking care of the space for him.
0: It's really cool. You have to take me down there sometime for a
1: tour, but let's not get (laughs)
0: sidetracked.
1: So, we, have, you know, that's all the benefits. There could be more of keeping chickens. I mean, one of the benefits for me is Heidi is Heidi loves her hens, and so it brings her great joy. So, you know, it's just like really we mentioned any other pet you have in your garden. Well,
0: and, you know, if you're training for boxing, you can chase a chicken. Uh, uh, yeah, you don't <laughs> want
1: to chase too many chickens, though. I, it, just you know, just this get is, one. <laughs> this, I have to say this. This is really interesting. So we recently had a hen die. And it was a quick thing. She got out in the yard, and one of our dogs decided to chase her. Didn't get a hold of her. It took about 10 seconds, uh, and I called the dog off. Dog never touched her, and she passed away about 20 minutes later. Just the adrenaline? The adrenaline, the heart attack. Who knows what happened? So we even have to be careful with that.
0: I was referring to how, uh, come on, Gary, movie aficionado. What's the old man's name that was training Rocky? Uh, Oh, Uh, yes. (laughs) Stallone. Uh, No, no. (laughs) You know, Rock, come on, chase the chicken. You got (laughs) to eat thunder. and (laughs) Mickey, come on, Rock. If Rocky can train to fight the German chasing a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Talking chickens with farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. You can find his website and subscribe to his podcast at urbanfarm.org. We'll be back talking chickens right after this. Now, we take care of a lot of animals at our place, Greg, and I know you guys. (laughs) Chickens are pretty much the the most hands-off that we have. Yeah, they really are. you had mentioned the dog. So the first thing we've got to talk about is their housing, how to keep them protected. Because neighborhood dogs are probably the biggest culprit anyone, most of us listening to this broadcast are going to have. Hawks are a big one, overhead birds. And space. What kind of space? It's actually fairly... Limited. Now you crowd them too much, and they do start to fight. Fight, Exactly, their feathers and their you know bodies just like
1: horrible from them beating up up each other. But you give them enough space, and they they don't fight. That's right, they don't fight. So the what you might be surprised about, you know, we're sitting here at basically 16th Street in Northern. I live at 16th Street in Glendale, in my neighborhood. In the past two years, we've had raccoons, bobcats, (laughs) foxes, coyotes, owls. And hawks. And they all like to eat chickens. And they all will eat chickens. <laughs> exactly. An owl can
0: pick up a chicken or just... A, well, this was a
1: some... great horned owl. Ooh. And, yeah, this was oh. a big owl that we saw and recently.
0: Most predatory birds don't eat the meat. They eat the brain. Oh, and they oh leave really? The body. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Hawks, owls.
1: That's why they're so wise. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to reiterate, 16th Street and Glendale, that's north central Phoenix. And we've had all of those wild animals, plus... You know, the occasional dog that gets out in my neighborhood, all of which will take out your hens. So you, and most of them are nocturnal, so they're at night. And you, so you have to build a predator proof chicken coop, which includes hardware cloth. Don't use chicken wire to build your chicken coops. <laughs> animals, wild animals, will get right through it. You need to use hardware cloth to build it, you need to bury concrete eight to 12 inches down so that they can't dig through into the coop you need to build a secure space about two years ago uh, we lost 10 hens and we discovered that it was from bobcats bobcats had come through and they killed 10 of our hens and so we set about to build a predator-proof coop Um, it's about 900 square feet uh, so it's the chicken run and the coop together. The coop uh, is really where they stay at night. It's a very, it's a much smaller place. They sit on a, you know, on a railing or a two by four, and um, that's where they hang out at night. And then they have an indoor. I mean, it's not quite indoor because you know it's hardware cloth, so the wind can go through it and rain can get in. But they have an indoor space of about 900 square feet that they can hang out with if we're not at home. Like right now, the chickens are in. And um, and then we let them out in on the farm in our yard during the day when we're at home.
0: And they're not too hard to round back up. You just no, they're s- not sprinkle a little corn back in their pan. Yep. Or yeah, at nighttime, they go back to their roost. That's right. So if you're there uh, and can wait for them to go back, they'll they'll just naturally go.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's and we we actually feed them uh, soldier fly larvae, and so they go nuts for soldier fly larvae. So I just shake a little can of that and they're just all over it, man, getting right back in. So, building a chicken coop, you really want it predator proof. So we talked about the big predators. What we didn't talk about was the little predators. And the little predators are rats and sparrows and the smaller smaller birds that can bring in pestilence like mites or uh, lice, those kinds of things that get on your chickens and good luck getting rid of them. Uh, that becomes quite challenging because it, you know, those kinds of bugs d- would do a real number on your hens. So these days when I coach people to build chicken coops, I coach them to build it uh, primarily out of the, you know, centimeter by centimeter hardware cloth on the roof and the sides so that rats can't get in so that other birds can't get in. And it keeps that at bay the other reason and this was the original reason that we uh, built an enclosed chicken coop was when we were feeding them and it was kind of out in our yard we were spending 50 percent of our feed on pigeons
0: right right
1: so the pigeons just show up and you know they eat away Uh, so literally when we enclosed our coop our feed bill dropped 50 percent and we feed organic feed so that's uh, a significant amount of money and then so, water requirements. Water. Oh, water requirements, right. So in, especially in the summertime, you want to have at least two different places for them to get water, and it needs to be cool water. They do not drink warm water. Uh, I've actually, long before uh, Heidi ever showed up, I had several hens die in an afternoon because they didn't have any cool water. So what we do at the Urban Farm is we actually freeze uh, little plastic water bottles or um, ice cubes in a in a small bowl, and put it in their water in the morning so that they have cool water. Uh, and the reason you have two is because if one of them gets dumped over, you know they can, you know, the, if they if they don't have water, they will die very quickly. So make sure that you have at least two sources of cold, clean water for your hens at all times.
0: And I don't. We've never gone to the extreme of ice cubes or anything like that but what we do have is a little portable evap cooler yes and then the water sits in front of the evap cooler yep and both of the evap and the water are shaded
1: that's a really really important thing are we going to talk about that after the break gary after the break yes cool (laughs) i'll see crest of me
0: keeping our our watershed we're also going to be talking about uh, knowing if you can have chickens HOA and city ordinances if they allow it uh we're going to talk about if you have chickens do you have roosters we're going to talk about uh then once we have them getting them from chick to uh to lay mm-hmm. and then how long they will lay after that all oh, here the Rosie on the house and our urban farm hour. If you'd like to join the conversation, text to 411923 or you can send an email to info at rosie on the And look at that, we're back after the break. I <laughs> talked with farmer Greg of urbanfarm.org. You were saying we're going to cover that after the break. This is after the break. Let's it, get right back into it with our chickens.
1: It is. Evaporative coolers. I have come to the conclusion that if you're going to have Chickens in your yard in the desert. This goes back to the, the guy that you heard speak. It's too hot for chickens here. If you don't have evaporative coolers for them, it's too hot for chickens here. Uh, so about two years ago, we went out and found on Craigslist an old evaporative cooler that wasn't so old. And that's how we keep our chickens cool in the summertime. You know, we've got shade for them, and there's I've planted fruit trees all around the coop, and we have a mulberry, which I brought some of the mulberries in today. Nice. We have a mulberry tree that grows and shades most of the space, but you have to have to cool the space with an evaporative cooler. There's just no question about it. It has to
0: happen. And you're not cooling all nine hundred square feet, you know, out of that cooler's no. you know, just a little area, but they can right. get in front of it. Exactly. Sitting there during the shade. Yep. They're there a couple hours during the hottest part and then, you know, morning and afternoons they're right. back doing their thing. Yes, exactly. Active about of okay. Yeah.
1: Regulations. City regs. So check with the neighborhood services in your city. I know that in the Phoenix metropolitan area you can have hens. If you have 10,000 square feet uh, of land um, or if you just, you know, take your neighbor's eggs, if you have less than 10,000 square feet. I just, you know, I tell people to make <laughs> friends with your neighbors and educate them because, um, you know, pens are cool. Uh, and then you also mentioned HOAs. Most HOAs, I'm sure, say eh, to chickens. Um, I know someone out in Chandler. Who actually uh, has chickens in an HOA. In fact, his OHOA, in his HOA, they have four or five households that have chickens. And one of the things that he noticed was that his neighbor was keeping African birds, you know, African parrots in his backyard. So this guy just started calling his birds <laughs> African jungle fowl. I mean, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So there's ways to work around it. And, you know, if you do live in an HOA and you want to keep chickens, just work with your HOA board. Don't fight them. Work with it to get that changed because they're pets. Chickens make great pets. And they're very rarely loud. I mean, you hear
0: them squawking every now and then, and you're like, oh, big egg coming today. But for the most part, if they've got food, if they've got water, um uh, you know if they're content
1: they're quiet they're quiet that's right that's right and then to the rooster uh first of all you don't want to have a rooster (laughs) (laughs) there's a couple of urban myths about uh chickens let me just cover them real quick and one of them is you need a rooster to get eggs no that's not the way the biology works though you need a rooster to get chicks you don't need a rooster to get eggs. You need
0: to fertilize the egg if you're
1: trying exactly. to hatch and grow your own. Chicks. Chicks. Exactly. Exactly. And roosters crow at sunrise. That is not at all true. <laughs> Cru- roosters crow 24-7 whenever they want. And we can attestify to that at it's, the office. It's just the most <laughs> annoying
0: at sunrise when you don't want to hear it. Exactly. Most no, of the time you're like, yeah, whatever, it's a rooster. Five thirty in the morning, like, oh, it's a rooster. Yeah, but at the
1: office we have a rooster nearby. Oh wow. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He don't care. Yeah, exactly. So check with your city. Go to your neighborhood services. Check with your city, Uh, and yeah. So how does one get into chicks? So there's a process. I actually pro- uh, published a book. It's called Foul Play. Ah, nice. It's this cute little mini book. That's what everybody always F-O-W-L, tells me. F-O-W-L, Foul Play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's a mini book. It's three and a half by five. It's 72 pages. In this book, it was, it was written by Rachel Bess, and I did the forward and the editing and the publishing of it. Um, in this 72-page mini book is Everything You Need to Know to Keep Chickens. They really are super simple. This is your basic get started guide. Um, There are pullets you can actually purchase adult hens, and there's a caveat around purchasing adult hens. Um, Hens lay eggs more when they're younger and less when they're older, and when they get really old, they don't lay at all. So be careful if you're buying adult hens, because you might be buying them from somebody that's already had them through their entire life, and they're done laying eggs. So if you're going to buy adults, make sure that you know that. Uh, if you are going to buy adults, you want a pullet, uh, which is basically a teenager that's getting ready to lay or that are just starting to lay. And there are a few places around town, and, and I'm sure on you can check on Facebook. I know there's a poultry uh, page for Maricopa County on Facebook. You check there. I am a big, big proponent of going with day-old chicks. Me too. You know, starting starting from scratch with day-old chicks. Uh, I always get my chickens from uh, Dottie and Amy over at Western Ranchmen. They're great. Nice. I love them. I have been working I, with them for 20
0: years. I, I get a lot of my feed from them, a yep. lot of my sack feeds and grains. And the only reason I don't use them more is just because they don't deliver to – as far away oh my as I gosh live. Yes. like if i'm in town and they need something yeah i put i put them in my route going home yeah. great family business
1: yeah exactly and they're at 32nd street and greenway area look for the um, horse out front yeah with the look for the horse out front exactly <laughs> exactly so i start there with chicks and often if you don't have a brooder built often a, ref, a ref, half of a refrigerator box works just fine so you you know get the refrigerator box and make it about four feet tall and you put a a heat lamp in one corner. I'm way simplifying this. It is simple, but you need to read about this. You put a heat lamp in the corner, make sure that they have uh, water again, two sources of water and feed. And after about eight to 12 weeks, they're going to be trying to fly the coop and you'll need a good secure outdoor space to keep them in. So that's generally how you start with chicks and uh, it's it's simple but you have to be conscious about it.
0: Now, one of the reasons I like chicks. I'm going to go through two actually. <laughs> you get an adult one, they start 10, 15, 20 bucks. You know, if you're yep. getting two or three that's not bad. Mm-hmm. We like to keep about two dozen at any given yep. time. Yeah, you know, that adds up. Yeah. You can go get a you know, two-day-old chick. They're less than Two dollars? yeah, two bucks. Yeah. So the cost, and then if the kids are selling the eggs, you know, teaching them to recover their money mm-hmm. from fifteen dollars or twenty dollars or twenty-five dollars to two dollars, you know, they're they're six months into laying before the chicken's paid for itself on right. just its cost. That's not feed, that's not water. So you know, we use the chickens as a money lesson to the kids. Right. And uh, it is one of the many benefits to it. So getting the smaller ones is cheaper. But then second, they will learn from the bigger ones where in the yard to do what. Mm-hmm. And they're not, uh, you know, they just grow up on the land and work it. You don't have to train them where to sleep or where to go or where to save the spot. They just spots. follow the leader. Exactly.
1: Well, and there's a number three as well. When you're getting them as chicks, you can raise them so that you can pick them up so you know our hens we can walk right up to them and pick them up they're friendly um i even have some photographs of heidi when she was kneeling down and a chicken jumps up on her you know on her shoulder again they're pets they are now if you get too many (laughs) they
0: can kind of kind of be like the the birds swarming you when you come into the coop and they know you're going to water them or give them a little bit of grain or something like that and they can they can overwhelm you, and occasionally the kids are, can, can get a little frustrated being swarmed by too many. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, How many do y'all keep, you all know, keep? Um, right ha- now we have 12.
1: Okay. Right now we have 12. This is getting low on the lower end. Uh, we have two that are left over from before they're five or six years old, and then we have 10 of them that are just coming up on two years old. So we may start another batch of 10. Uh, in Maricopa County, you can have twenty hens, and we have the space set up for twenty hens, uh, but we'll see. Because it's not—it's not a—it's not a—a a, a simple task to raise ten chicks. For many. most people listening, you're going to find out four or
0: five is plenty. Yep. Um, you wouldn't want to go any less than that because then if you did lose one, um, you know it takes a long time to regrow it, get it back to a point of laying. And right. you always want to make sure there's a couple of them to keep each other company. Yeah, exactly. They are a, a flock animal. And when they sleep at night, they all do roost, you know, side oh, right to side. Next to each other. It's, it's amazing to watch. Uh, but four eggs a day, you're going to be surprised how much that is. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, a family of four probably isn't going to keep up with four eggs a day. Right. On, on your eating scale. Yeah. You're I, going to I, have
1: more that... Friends and neighbors can offload. Onto. Yeah, I usually tell people three, four hens is is a good place to start. Right now with twelve hens, two of them aren't laying. Uh, we're getting seven to nine eggs a day. That's a lot of eggs. <laughs> so Heidi has Heidi is a yoga teacher, and so she teaches at Desert Song Yoga. She just takes them and puts them in the you know puts them down in the kitchen down there, and they disappear, and the five dollars is just show up in the you know in the Egg basket down there. Yeah. Eggs show up as white or brown or both? There are, I think, 133 different colors of eggs, all the way from chocolate brown to brown to green to blue. Uh, Depends on the variety of hen that you have. Yeah, has nothing to do
0: with uh, the cleaning process. Uh, One's not organic versus Mm -mm. another. It's strictly the bird laying it depicts the color of the egg exactly and one thing that i've seen people do in europe they don't wash their eggs the way we do in america because there's a coating that naturally is on the egg that Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel if you break that coating then pathogens can then get into the egg and they don't last as long and you know that's true but some people take it to the extreme and don't even wash the poop off i'm like come on soaking it in the water for two minutes, loosening it up and taking the manure off the egg is not breaking this cambium layer. You can you well, can still it, wipe it, the poop
1: off the egg. Well, <laughs> wiping off the poop is different than washing it off. Uh, and generally what we do if there's poop on an egg, it, it rarely happens. Um, we just, you know, keep those for ourselves. They sit on the counter for a day or two, and then they get consumed at the urban farm. It's super simple. Yeah, And you don't need to refrigerate eggs. That's another that myth that a lot of
0: people... And In fact, in grocery stores, they're not even refrigerated until they're put out on display.
1: Oh, interesting. Interesting. But once you refrigerate them, you need to keep them refrigerated, yes. is my
0: understanding. Absolutely. And then, do you know how to tell the, how old an egg is?
1: Uh, I do. Let's
0: hear your story. The water glass trick? Yep. Okay, so if you... Drop an egg into the water and it sinks. Mm-hmm. That's it's a fresh, fresh. Yep. If it floats, it's old and you toss the floater. So if you've got them, you know, you're out mowing the lawn and you find a couple of eggs where they, one of them kind of came off and made their little nest, because they will, they will They'll find Absolutely. little corners
1: to lay in and, you know, put them in the
0: bucket of water. Anything that floats,
1: compost. Anything that sinks, yeah. well and there's different different types of floating as well you know if just starting to float if it's just kind of touching the top of the, getting close to the top of the water i'll use those you crack them open you'll know <laughs> you'll know if it's a bad egg but if it's fully floating yeah, yeah they go into the compost bin and i smack them with the shovel and get away and one bad egg isn't bad it's when
0: you're trying to make breakfast for six people, oh, and it's yeah. the seventh egg you're cracking crack into the bowl in the to scramble.
1: scramble. Then you got to start all over. <laughs> so when I, have, uh, when I have situations like that, I crack them individually. You crack them individually.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Our final segment with Farmer Greg coming up right after this, talking about backyard chickens and the benefit that they can have on your urban farm. Greg, it's been an excellent broadcast so far. Oh, I stole that from you on air. <laughs> Love it. Uh-huh. Uh, breeds. breeds. When you're when you're selecting it, you'd mentioned Western Ranchman. Great place to get them. Yep. We've gotten chicks from Gordon's Feed downtown Phoenix, like kind of like Third Avenue and Broadway ish, or Seventh oh, Avenue. Oh yeah. have Not ever been down there. But um, the Stockmans, Pratt's. We've had success with some and not so much with others. Um, A lot of it, we've had success with a breed, but we got it from this store and it wasn't good. And we got it from this store and it was fine. And I think what I found in that case is if you look at the board, which hatchery they're then getting the chicks from makes Mm. a big difference as well. We've got huge hatcheries in Ohio in the Midwest that they can actually even, they will mail order you chicks from these yeah you just have uh, to take 25 chicks at a time <laughs> right but you can they'll ship them to you they will as long as it's not over 90 degrees i have found chicks that come from uh privet out of new mexico are a lot hardier for oh, for the, the desert. desert yeah that and there's sense. a i can't remember the name of it but there's another one uh in california uh kind of imperial valley-ish area that's another that they seem to do much hardier than the uh, it could be the same breed of bird, mm-hmm. but coming out of out Ohio just doesn't or Iowa. It's, yeah, it's that not makes a lot same. of sense.
1: So the the different breeds that we generally keep at the urban farm, the Americana's they lay the blue and green eggs. Rhode Island Reds, they're a, a deep red colored chicken. Uh, they do a really great job. They're great egg layers. They're a little bit meaner. Uh, you know, Buff Orpingtons are nice chickens to keep. Um, You know, so there's really what I encourage people to do is make friends with your feed store. You know, I talk very highly about Western Ranchmen because I, you know, I've been dealing with them for 20 years and they really, in most cases, know what they're talking about. Um, So make friends with your feed store. You could go
0: to the Western Ranchmen this year and buy buff Orpingtons, and next year they've got a different breed. But what I've noticed is the breeds don't really care as long as you give them enough space. A Rhode Island Reds don't team up and attack the Orpingtons. I mean, like you said, they're a little oh, they're bit meaner, but they're mean to each other yeah, <laughs> as well yeah, as exactly. other species. Exactly. You can have multiple different types of breeds, and that that actually makes your flock fun and entertaining. Just oh, yeah, exactly. For, uh, a, a, you know, sitting on a back
1: porch with a iced tea and Watching all watching the different the hens, exactly. uh, hens do their thing. So one of the really cool, I'm going to shift a little bit on you here. One of the really cool things that I did with our chicken coop was that when we had that incident a couple of years ago, I had a, a Pakistani mulberry growing in the middle of the coop and it was 25 feet tall and I needed to cover it with hardware cloth. And so I cut it down to about six feet and let it regrow. Mulberries are notorious for how they can regrow. So I've actually gr- grown it out horizontally over the top of the roof of the coop. So it's providing shade for the chickens. But look what else it provides. Mulberries. These mulberries are amazing. Gary's like, give me some. I have um, never had a mulberry. Really? I never had. Oh, oh all right. Well, pass pass here it go. this way. <laughs> get, get it to the other side of the glass.
0: And, and um, uh, Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: And they're like, uh, what, three inches, two to three inches long? Mm. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. Mm. The flavor's great. They uh, taste uh, really good. Oh, they're man. prolific. Are you getting all this on Barry? No. You're getting all this? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> and the chickens love them. So anything that falls on the ground, the chickens eat. So this is the Pakistani mulberry. The other one that uh, I highly recommend is the dwarf black mulberry. It makes about a dime size uh, mulberry. Uh, for chicken coops as well this you know again they grow tall they shade the space and they provide some food for your chickens you know along the way so those both those are available in our fruit tree program every year that we do through the urban farm which is open today last we're, day for the pop up yeah nursery we do a uh, pop up nursery Uh, And we're open about 20, 25 days a year. That's it. Uh, In the fall and into the early spring, we do all kinds of educational classes on fruit trees and what grows here and how to be successful at it. And then you can you can pre-purchase or you can come down to our pop up nursery and, you know, pick up trees. So we'll be there from nine until three today
0: you're you're got a busy
1: schedule here i do you got the broadcast we wrap it up and then yep. you're going over to
0: barry's true value from 11 to 1. one Yep. that's which one is that
1: 12th street and northern so i'll be over northern. at barry's true value hardware answering people's questions talking about soil creating healthy soil you know we've talked a lot about that on the show uh, and they're on the, on the southwest corner of Northern and 12th Street. So I'll be there from 11 to 1. Then you're going to the pop-up nursery till three. And I'll be at the pop-up nursery till three, but actually I'm leaving here, heading to the pop-up nursery. Then First. I'll go to berries. Oh, <laughs> so uh, the pop-up nursery is at 4549 North 7th Street. That's 7th Street just south of Highland. Uh, At the very end of our season, it's still not too late to get some really great fruit trees in the ground. Urbanfarm.org.
0: Somebody monitoring that right now. If somebody has a question about where, what berries, true value, where's the pop-up,
1: urbanfarm.org.
0: Yeah, on the front page. Farmer Greg, thanks for spending uh, Saturday morning with us here. Thank you. Uh, Your podcast as well.
1: Urbanfarmpodcast.com. We're up to about 450 episodes in three and a half years, and we're rocking it, man. Great topics. And we always need more time here. I need two hours next month. <laughs> next month. And that'll be
0: May 25th. We'll be talking about the peach and apple harvest. Yes, we have peaches and apples that do great here in Arizona. And oh, if yes. you've got a good peach or apple tree, they produce a lot more than you could ever eat while it's ripe on the tree. So we're talking about ways that you can uh, preserve and use them absolutely uh, throughout the year.